CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. My name is Kalina Bowler. For years, I've worked in Georgia's film and television industry in location management. I help filmmakers find just the right places to shoot. With more than 40 credits to my name, I've seen Yollywood take off in ways I couldn't imagine a few years ago. On this podcast, we'll meet the people whose names you see when the credits roll. Sit back, relax, and join us as we crank up for the second season of The Credits, a podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting. We start our second season with an overview of how Georgia's entertainment industry has become more inclusive. The day before the Oscars, I hosted a panel before a live audience at Georgia Public Broadcasting in Atlanta. The timing couldn't have been better. Georgia was well represented at the awards. Marvel's Black Panther, which was filmed in Atlanta, came away with three Oscars for costume design, production design, and music. Atlanta-born Morehouse graduate Spike Lee took home his first Oscar for writing Black Klansmen. First Man, which was also filmed in the Atlanta metro area, won in the Best Visual Effects category. We also saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse take home the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. It starred the voice of Georgia native Shameik Moore. At our panel, I spoke with several rising stars in the industry. Susan Satterfield of the Women in Production Summit, Cardelia Hunter with the City of Atlanta Office of Film and Entertainment, stuntwoman Demita Jane, and safety coordinator Michael Smith, a retired Atlanta police officer whose film career spans over 30 years. Also with us, Taraja Ramses, our guest from our first episode last season. Taraja talked to us then about working as an on-set dresser for Netflix's Stranger Things. But during our panel, he told us how he has worked to diversify his portfolio. Yeah, I've been trying to get out of set dressing for like the last couple of years and getting more into the stunt world mm-hmm. and the camera world. And it's been working out pretty good, I guess, so far. And it's challenging, but it's worth the challenge. Now, how do you make a transition like that? Because sometimes those, those of us will start out in one department and we say, you know what? Set dressing's been good, but I really think I want to do stunts. So what, what do you feel is the best way to make a transition like that if you decided you wanted to? Uh, it started from asking questions. You know, at first, you know, I met a stunt guy. I was like, yeah, how can I be a stunt person? You know, I thought I had some of the skills it takes to be a stunt person. And what are some of those skills? Uh, you know, I've been practicing. Certain practice- set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing martial arts for you know most of my life and riding motorcycles and just doing mostly dumb stuff and you know, hurt myself. So. You heard it here first. All those mostly dumb things that you used to do, you could yeah. possibly be in stunts. Yeah. So and so it's been working out pretty well and uh, and I also like cameras. So I've, you know, I've been asking a lot of questions about being in the camera department and I joined the camera union and been working as an assistant and so. So I stalk your Instagram sometimes, <laughs> and I see sometimes you bring uh, your children to the uh, to the gym with you. Mm-hmm. Are any of them? Do they have aspirations of yeah. doing stunt work as well? I got a gymnast. I got a I got a director. I got a son. <laughs> <laughs> my son. He wants to be a superhero. Um, yeah, like they're all kind of like 
you know, they're all artistic in that way. And That's got to be great, yeah. you know. And I'm sure they look up to you. Oh, know. yeah, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of children, Ms. Demita. Yes, ma'am. I mean, your list of credits are outstanding. I mean, you are you. the stunt Michonne. Yes. The woman. Uh, I th then I guess it was only natural that your daughter would want to follow in your footsteps. Is that right? I don't even know that she wants to follow in my footsteps. I think that, um, well, when a show needs a kid to do a stunt, they come to us first because our kids have been doing crazy things their entire lives. So she just kind of fell into it. We've had calls and have showed up, and she's an athlete. Um, she's been uh, doing ballet since she was three years old. She's 14. Ballet is a great base for any sort of athletics, and so she's always rocked it on set. Did you also start in dance when you got your start in stunts? No, I started in, first of all, I thought I was gonna be a historian teaching at the University <laughs> of Oh no, really? Yes. Oh my gosh, So you I've tell. got these degrees that I'm not currently using. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was in graduate school for the second time, I was also playing roller derby here in Atlanta, the Atlanta Roller Girls. Yes. Oh wow. And Drew Barrymore made a movie about roller derby, and there was no black stunt woman in Hollywood who could skate for Eve. And I just happened to be one of the only black women skating at the national level at that time, and so that was it. Uh -huh. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, it just goes to show as well, uh, the, the work that we do and the people that do these types of jobs, that we, can, we come from anywhere, anywhere oh. and everywhere. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you don't have to necessarily have a formal start to your uh, production life, your production career. Absolutely. I mean, for years, people would ask me, like, what, you know, what's your specialty? What is it that you do? And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm a super great athlete. I'm really fit. <laughs> I show up and I do whatever it is they need me to do. And over the years, I've honed some very specific skills. But when I started, it was like, I can fight. <laughs> and so, and okay. so I, I was fighting on skates. And so fighting on skates. That's what roller derby is, to fight on skates. I love it. I love it. I, mental note, I'm going to learn how to skate again. Um, <laughs> um, so we're talking about, you were saying that for a long time you were really the only woman of color that they could find who would do this specific thing. We're talking about diversity, and I feel personally that Georgia in the last several years has really made some amazing strides yes. in terms of our diversity behind the camera, in front of the camera. Um, how is it looking in the stunt world? I mean, we have two uh, people of color right here on our panel who are stunt performers. Are, are, is it, does it seem to be getting better? Are we leveling out? What does it look like? And either one of you could answer. Well, I mean, the pool has certainly gotten more diverse. When I started, there was me, and I used to jokingly say that you know, there was me and one other black stunt woman in town, and so we didn't look alike, and so you, you, know, you had your two choices. She was taller, she was a little thicker, and that, you know, so those were the two. Now there's, there are quite a few black stunt people. I mean, after Black Panther, I mean, we're everywhere, I feel like. There's, there's so many, um, and I, just, I think that that movie in particular really, um, help to kind of grow yeah. the, the stunt uh, performer of color pool, for sure. Cardelia, are you seeing more um, productions coming through your office that have uh, uh, producers that are women of color or people of color? Uh, are you seeing more of that come through your office? 
or is it kind of mostly well I've been in this office for going on six years now and I have seen um, a little increase but not where it needs to be and I'm sure over you know the years to come that we'll see a little bit more diversity um, and not just with the African-American um, you know Latinos I've okay. seen um, uh, other ethnicities, ethnicities excuse me um, have been in the uh, have been like in the production or uh, executive producer role or something like that but I still think that we have a long way to go in regards to diversifying I agree and uh, Susan as a producer yourself are you finding that there are more women stepping up to the plate wanting to be producers so that's one of the things I've noticed personally that a lot of times women will move up in the ranks in production and we stop at unit production manager which is usually the person that is in charge of the in general production as a whole when you're out and you're filming um, are we seeing more line producers uh, or executive producers that are women and people of color? Um, I, I do think that's happening in directors as well. I was with a rep from SAG yesterday and she said you know, she visits sets all day long, sometimes seven days a week, and she mm -hmm. said she's noticing there's more and more women directors and more uh, directors of color, especially in television where there's more opportunity. Um, and uh, definitely, I, I think part of it is Atlanta's maturation as a media market because we have never seen ourselves as content creators before. And when you're creating your own content, a lot of times you want to produce that. You want to you maintain some control over it. Right. So um, I do think that's happening more. I'm definitely seeing more women who are stepping forward and saying, I have a story I've always wanted to tell, and I want to I maintain control of it so mm -hmm. it's, it's told the way I want it to be told. Me Too movement has shined a huge light on being able to work with dignity, right? Um, I know for a fact, I've been on sets where Re recently, real time, where people used to not say anything, or if someone made somebody feel a little uncomfortable, like you said, they're starting to be able to be comfortable speaking up without fear of retribution of their job being taken away. And uh, I personally have seen an improvement. Are you seeing any, uh, Susan, on your set? Um, I'm seeing it in the industry and, uh, mm -hmm. and I will say um, uh, to get a plug-in for the Women in Production Summit because right. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of women's organizations in this market. We have the Producers Guild Women, we have the Black Women's Film Network, we have Film Fatales and Alliance of um, Women Directors which are both for directors um, and of course Women in Film and Television which is the second chapter in the whole country and um, we decided a few years ago that we needed to get all of those women together and it was before the Harvey Weinstein incident everything we now look at is like before and Har uh, before and after Harvey but um, we already knew there was a problem and we had started discussing it and we had formed an initiative called safety shot to address it and our first concern at that point was we think this is much worse than what we're talking about and we need to we need to find some way to prove how bad it is. Mm. So we have that as a, as a beginning. And then when Harvey Weinstein came out, it was the only good thing he did. He proved that it was really bad and it was going on um, everywhere. And so um, I, th I think it's great that 
that it's not in the shadows anymore. Absolutely. There's always been that network of women talking to each other and saying, look out for this person, look out for that person, don't be alone with this person, you mm-hmm. know. But now it's out, and we figure there's there's people who are just kind of clueless, and you can work with them, you can teach them. Obviously, yes. But in every industry, there are bullies, and in every industry, there are predators. And unfortunately, because of the nature of our work, sometimes those predators can go from job to job without, without getting called out. So I believe there's a lot more measures now to stop somebody like that from going on to the next job and the next job. I agree. That's always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, going, it's only going to get better as we go. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the future of uh, Yollywood. What are some of the things... We all know and love the industry here. What are some of the things that you would like to see happen here in Georgia on any scale that could improve our livelihood here in Georgia? We could have like a on-site baby watcher, uh, baby <laughs> on-site daycare. I'm very happy on-site you brought that up. I'm very happy you brought this up because actually you brought this up during your interview with yeah. us, our very first interview, because. A lot of us have families, and when you're in the industry, you're working 12, 14, 16 hours a day, and there are so many businesses that can help support the industry. If anybody's thinking of starting a business, there you go. <laughs> production babysitters, <laughs> drivers for your kids to and from where they have oh, to go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes, any others? I, I would like to see not so many 14, 16 hour days, honestly. I mean, there, there is no, there's really no need to, a lot of other industries would not let you work that long. And I think it's, it's hard on people, it's hard on families. Um, and I also think people don't think very well after about 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see some sanity come into play for just exactly how long that People would help with the safety working. issue big it time. It really would. That last voice you heard was Susan Satterfield of the Women in Production Summit. The long hours can weigh heavily on cast and crew and the people who coordinate productions from afar. Cordelia Hunter with the City of Atlanta's Office of Film and Entertainment used to be on call 24 hours a day when new projects came to town. The hotline belonged to me for five years. It's a 24-hour hotline, so that means that phone rang at, you know, wee hours in the morning. It was on my side of my bed, and I had to answer it because I knew I had a production out there. And so if we can cut down the hours, that means also for the back home people behind who deal with the permitting, we'll be able to get a little sleep, too. Well, because, I mean, you guys are on a a general 9-to-5 weekday schedule. We could be on a schedule that's seven days Almost 24 hours. Yes. yes. And so, you know, for me, um, the office hours are nine to five, but I but mean, no, I'm on. weekend, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm South Africa, I'm with my cell phone. I mean, it's like it went everywhere I went. So, you know, that would be very, very good to normal business hours. I yep. hope I hope they're paying you a lot for being <laughs> on call like that. Sometimes you just have a passion. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you enjoy it, and then um, when it takes a toll on you, then, you know, you know, after a while, I've worked with Mike for, you know, for six years or whatever, and if I get burnt out, I'd be like, look, whatever your coordinator says, that's what you're going to do. Whatever your police coordinator say, 
either cut it down or keep going, you know, so it, it really takes a, um, a joint effort. You just heard Cardelia Hunter mention Mike. That's Mike Smith. He coordinates police on Georgia film sets. Movie people are crazy people. They are. Yeah, we they're, are. They're, they're insane. They want to work. <laughs> they, they, seven, and, and I mean, when I started in the business in the 80s, it was a six-day work week. And Mike says the long hours are nothing new in the film and television industry. Yeah, I've had to walk off of shows after 12, 14 hours, on doing, particularly on stunts and driving shots where we've been doing stuff where I've had to say, the cops are going home. I don't know what y'all are going to do without us. <laughs> but I know I can tell you now the cops are going home. And again, that creates a bad feeling with some of the producers because they want to get that last one in and just keep going and going. So, but somebody has to have common sense to what, because after 12 hours, none of us are very effective at all. I know this hazard firsthand. I've been in a car accident, have gone to the hospital because of the high levels of stress in this job, but I keep coming back to it because I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. As we wrap our panel discussion about how Georgia's film and television industry is changing, something dawns on Mike Smith. He's the only white man on our panel. 20 years ago, this panel wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, how, long, how many years have you been in the industry, Kalina? Uh, 15 now. Yeah, so she, she was one of the front runners. Uh, there wasn't a lot of diversity when you started. No, it was not. It was I mean, not. I mean, and, and particularly in the locations department. It, Absolutely. It, I mean, it is now better than it has been. Her, Alfeo, A.B. Cooper. Carl um, Johnson. Yeah, Carl Johnson. Carl Johnson was the first electrician in GRIP. Um, I mean, there's, it, it, it's been a slow process, and, and, and an, but it's been a process. And that process continues and develops. All this season of the credits will bring you the stories of the many different people of all shades who are making history in Georgia's film and television industry. We hope you'll join us. And that's it for us today. Our show, recorded in front of a live audience at Georgia Public Broadcasting, was produced by Sean Powers. Emily Hackshaw helped organize our event. Our amazing engineers for our live event were Alec Caslow and Alex Word. Don Smith edits the show. Our music is by MBB. And I'm Kalina Bowler. You can reach us at thecredits at gpb.org and subscribe to our podcast for free at gpb.org forward slash podcasts. And I'll end with this final thought. Maybe it's time Georgia hosted the Oscars. What do you think? (laughs) See you after the movies.